Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favourite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, And then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guests on Talk Design today are Bang Dang and Ritzy Faruqi. Now, they're from Far and Dang in Dallas, Texas. They're architects. They do amazingly beautiful modern homes. And with this, there's such a range in work. So there's the big modern home and there's the really like tight, small modern home as well. I really got excited looking through your stuff and seeing just the diversity and then reading about you and understanding a bit more was the piece where it's not actually about size or big budget or whatever. It's about what you get to deliver. And I just love that kind of idea that what you're doing is putting people into places that are meaningful and meaningful to them. And it's not all about going, yeah, look, we only do things that start here and finish there and this kind of stuff. It's actually about delivering a real service to people. And some really exciting architecture within that. And diverse. Like, it's not like you've got a signature style either, which I really enjoyed. So welcome to Talk Design. 
Thanks for having us. Man, I'm really excited for this. And we've just had a little warm-up talk and found out a few things. So I'm going to kick off with something that most of the listeners will want to know. Obviously, you've got Far and Dang, and that you've been going about how many years? About 12 years or so? Yeah. Yeah. And if we reverse back from that, at some point you were these two little kids and something along the line, because you've got both obviously got creative and analytical skills, made a decision for you to go to do architecture. So I'd love you to take us from this being a kid on your bike in the street and what happened? What happened in that journey? So you choose who goes first. And we'll see how the partnership really works in doing that. <laughs> yeah, and I can start. Uh, for me, I think it's funny to talk about being the kid on your bike. I was the kid with the pencil in his hand, drawing every minute I was awake. Wow. And that was just something that, you know, something that just picked up in me, I think, really early on. Starts a little bit with art classes in school. And my parents had... A little bit of artistic interest and leanings, but neither of them really did anything artistic or were that into it. My dad was a photographer, so had an eye for that. And they did a lot of kind of exposing us to art and museums and things like that. But no one was really had art as any real passion. But somehow for me, I got caught into that in terms of just wanting to draw things all day, every day. And that really was like my childhood, you wow. know, kind of the fondest parts of it I, I remember. And it just really continued all throughout. And then that was what I was most passionate about in school, even like a little bit of everything. But that kind of continues on. And then you get to this point in your life where you, at least I guess here in the U.S., you try mm-hmm. to, once you graduate, try to become an adult and choose a university, what are you going to pursue and study? And for me, it was just knowing that I wanted to do something artistic because that was just fun, where my passion was. And casually I had, and it's interesting, some of the art classes I took later as an older child were taught by local people that were art directors. Oh, wow. That's actually local cool, advertising agencies yeah. or retired art directors and things like that. So they would approach the class and the teaching from almost like an advertising type of mm-hmm. manner mm-hmm. in terms of kind of how thinking about how you create things and the way drawings and art tells a story. And, and also yeah, with the advertising, it would have been client centric again. That would have been something that's driven by an outcome and a purpose. Um, yeah, less arbitrary in some ways. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, in some ways, maybe it was different because it was a little structured, but that was just in the mix of things. And so originally, I wanted to pursue that. I thought art and advertising are linked. It sounds almost so it has a business aspect to it that has this balance because I think I have a little bit of both in my brain. And thought about pursuing that, but my father hadn't been through the ups and downs of that profession, even though he did different aspects of it. So, no, you don't want to do that. There you go. Yeah, and just in terms of maybe it not being the most reliable things or or being a little bit of a hard profession like anything is, 
but somehow it got into my mind of architecture is related. Let's yeah. try that. Once I started it, I got hooked. Isn't that, it's interesting, eh? I, I get how it's easy to get hooked. My dad was in advertising and one of the things he always said was, don't do advertising. Like he was an art director and it was, and he's a fine artist as well. He, yeah. he paints watercolor, but he was always, no, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. And I think it was, he was in that madman era. And mm-hmm. I think there was a whole lot of that. It was drinking, it was partying and it was still producing mm-hmm. work, but it was, I don't think that the, environment necessarily suited the the structure of for everybody like it wasn't great for a family it, it he made reasonable money doing it but it wasn't like it was great for a family and it also campaigns would be lost and the firm would downsize and campaigns would be yeah. gained and the firm would upsize <laughs> and I often think of it, the, the parallels between it and architectural firms now, and it's interesting, your dad saying, don't go that way. And yet... Oh, yeah, he had... It's so similar. ...sessions in the 80s, and, yeah. and even after, and the, all the ups and downs, and I think was shown some warnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so how did you discover the thing was called architecture? Was that, like, just natural because of the fact that you had been like in in school so I I had a a guest a little while back and I said you know how did you become an architect and he said was that kind of careers day and there was a list of all (laughs) the different things and he said I'm just looking down and the A with architecture he said I was always good at art and had a fairly analytical brain but I'm going down and I saw architecture and he said I thought I know what that is I'll do that one and then I became an architect. <laughs> yeah, no, I think for me, it was some of the, in going through and drawing things like, and doing a lot of drawing as a child, like the environments were always yeah. a little bit of a part of it. And then later it was drawing things and scenarios and buildings were a part of that. Yeah. And so I think that was in my head a little bit. And you know, it might've been also just but in my mind initially an easy jump okay here's one art related profession that has a little maybe balance to it what's the next one yeah cool cool bang what was your story with it how did you get there on a very similar start to Rizzy, i still remember my parents would still tell the stories these days that when we're at the dinner table they would have to tell me to put my pencil and paper away and if i would eat my meal, then I could go back to drawing. But but one thing that I also remember is when I got slightly older, not very old, actually, uh, pretty young for my age, my dad would spend time with me. We would buy those plastic kits that had, you know, fighter airplanes and battleships and tanks, and we would build them together. And I think that really changed for me because suddenly... I, I kept drawing and painting, but the three-dimensionality of things really blew my mind. Suddenly, the sort of seeing depth and understanding how things go together and how things snap together 
just really consumed me. I don't know if you guys remember, I can't remember the name, but remember those things you used to buy, they were red, they look like binoculars, and you put the little circle things with the little slides and you click oh, it. Oh, sure, it yeah. Remember? Like a, yeah, a kaleidoscope thing and it would go round and you would, would get the photos. Yeah, yeah. You would have like Snow White or you would have yeah. things on sharks and they were completely three-dimensional. That was our early I iPad. could look at those forever. Yeah. It, it was just really the depth and the layering. But honestly, unlike Rizzy, by the time I got to middle school and high school, I took some art classes outside of school. But the public school I went to was not very heavily engaged in drafting or architecture. And I, I, like a lot of kids, I always thought it was more engineering, actually. Ah. So it never crossed my mind. I thought it was a lot of math. And yep. I basically thought it was structural engineering is what I, I It's what you imagined. thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. At that time. But in front of our counselors, in this, uh, back in the day, of course, there was no internet. So they posted a lot of scholarships. Yeah. But it was those things you peel off the form from the, right. the little plastic thing that holds yep. them together. And one was first freshman year architecture scholarship. It was only for one year. And I noticed no one had taken any of the forms. It was completely packed. So I thought, even if it's very math intensive, which I'm not the best at, I thought I could draw really well. So I applied and I got it. And I thought I would do architecture for a year. And if I didn't like it, I would move on. But I loved it like Rizzy from day one. I, I love mean, it. We, yeah. That's yeah, so we cool. In class, it was, yeah. It was drawing slides of Italy yeah. on these big pads with charcoal. And sometimes he would give you five minutes. Sometimes it was 30 seconds. And I just, yeah, wow. it was amazing. And then the studio course right after that drawing class was building models and cubes. And So you were back to snapping so together. Was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I just, I couldn't believe how lucky I was to fall into that. <laughs> and there wasn't too much math. And so it was no, like, not really. No, no. Yeah. Common yeah. sense math also. Mm -hmm. That piece of like, it's to, it, if you're making something, it's to actually hold this piece up. It's to do mm -hmm. this. I have a parallel with that. I'm dyslexic and ADHD. And so my um, parallel with yours was that my dad used to buy us those models. And yeah. it was one of the few things that we would do together and yeah. well again like both of you guys I walked around with a pencil in my hand uh -huh. most of the time and if I wasn't you know working drawing something I was cutting up cardboard and whatever rocks bricks whatever mm -hmm. I could find and I'd be putting right. something together and being right. dyslexic I and this is probably part of my fascination oh, not fascination but my love of American America and the West and also Texas is because I was dyslexic. My dad was like, maybe you could read these. And he used to read Western novels, Louis L'Amour. And, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and so mm -hmm. I would, I, that was what I learned to read beyond being what I was taught at school. That's what I started to read. And then I used to make models of town of Western towns. Yeah, and I'd have to make 
OS Joko. I had to make the saloon and the brothel and then a general store. And the thing was done. <laughs> that was, was 50% of the town, right? Exactly, man. And then there was a bank. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was that kind of thing where it was very tactile. And that mm-hmm. was what interested me so much with design. And then with him being in advertising, I was always like, how could you make the the signage better how could you make the how could you make it more attractive how could you make it stand mm-hmm. out a little bit differently yeah what a uh, and the airplanes and the tanks and stuff that took me back i'd even forgotten about that that took me right back to the yoohoo glue is what we had it was a glue called yoohoo glue and it was in a yellow mm-hmm. black tube and you'd have that stuff. You'd have fingerprints on your model if you weren't clean enough. Right, that's right. Yeah. You'd be trying to paint it and you'd be like, oh, there's my thumbprint. No, oh, that's, that's wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So then you both went and studied in Austin, Arlington. Hmm. And then how, what made you guys, or when did you meet and how did you put the firm together? What happened there? Uh, whose garage did you work out of first? We still work in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, that that was actually because we were at UT in Austin at the same time, but also different times. We overlapped for a couple of years. Uh, Bang was there three years, started three years ahead of me, and and even it might have been four years. I forget because I didn't do. I wasn't in the architecture for my first year, but I switched over and and caught up. But so we never saw each other and overlap really in school, just because we we're at different stages of the program, even though it was a small school, um, but didn't know each other then. <clears throat> However, I had, Bang had come back to Dallas. I had plans at least to come back for a little while. I had stayed and, and worked a little bit in Austin, had done some things there, but I thought I'd come back to Dallas Actually, sorry, I'm skipping a part of that. I actually originally hadn't planned on coming back because at at UT and Austin, they have an exceptional program that only a few universities around the country offer in their, especially in their undergraduate program, which is a residency program where you can earn your credits for your education, but also gain work experience at the wow. same time, which I think is you know, more of a European model and, and and yeah. happens in a lot of other places also, but you know, a little rare in the U.S. And so I had the kind of fortune of doing that and had gone, Bang had done that also as part of his education. And I had chosen at that point to go to the Netherlands, to Rotterdam, and had been working there for about nine or 10 months and, and was actually planning on staying before kind of finding out and getting the call that my father had gotten pretty ill in this diagnosis of some kind of new illness and rather than staying I went I came back I went to Austin went back came to Dallas and went back to Austin and kind of finished things up and then thought I should stay around in Texas for a little while at least with you see how things were going to go and I thought having had that sort of previous experience and exposure of the type of work that helped me understand the type of work in architecture I really wanted to pursue which wasn't that common in Texas, especially in Austin at the time as a small city, almost a small town back then. But I looked pretty hard and 
decided, look, if I was going to be in Texas, I found that there was one place and one person I wanted to work for. And that was Gary Cunningham here in Dallas. And I said, if this is where I'm going to be, that's where I want to go. I, and then, and then everything changed all of a sudden 9-11 happened and there was really no work anywhere, but I was determined to try to at least put my best foot forward. And despite the things that were happening economically at the time, I was able to get an interview there and went to interview, even though there were no jobs, nobody was really hiring. I started going around and just having a lot of conversations and Gary gave me the opportunity to come and visit the office and have an interview. And I got to meet the people in the office. It's a small place at that yep. time, maybe, I don't know, six or seven people yeah, right. at the most. And you met Bang there. And you know, we talked about having been at, at UT in Austin. There were other people that had been part of the school there, had a little bit of a connection. And then I didn't get, of course, I didn't get the job there. It was hard to get a job anywhere at the time. And ended up getting on somewhere else and getting my first job out of school, but then would see, we would see each other at events, architectural events and things here and there around town, whether it was a home store or a lecture series and things like that and got to become really good friends. Yeah. Wow. And, and then we ended up that, gosh, that was 22, 23 <laughs> years ago. Now. A while back. And then the story kind of continues into kind of how we got here, but I'll let Bang. Bang can you pick it up. For me, my mindset early on was a little different. For someone who didn't really know what the field was about and just luckily fell into it. Just lucked in. For some odd reason. (laughs) Yeah. Soon after starting architecture school, I got this really naive idea that generally you go to school, then you work for someone, and then you have your own practice. That, it, that it, was it, just that was always hmm. Right. I, and I don't know why I got that, because, of course, a lot of us work for someone for the rest of our lives or whatever, but somehow that was ingrained in me. So my path was always I would work at work for people that I really believed in the work and potentially people who do work that I couldn't imagine how they came up with that on their own, or how I, I could come up with that. Yeah. And then I would start my own practice in Dallas because that's where the family was. And that was really important to me. So I did a little bit of that. And then I was in the same program, the residency program that Rizzy yeah. was in. Um, and um, at the time I, I didn't have the means to, go abroad. So I ended up doing residency with Gary Cunningham. So I had worked there before I graduated and uh, fell in love with the work. And, uh, and at the time there were about two, three people there that had been with him for a very long time that were really great mentors. And I, mm. and that was just a seven month thing. So I really was looking forward to coming back. And, and to be honest, it was in some ways, like we talked before, it was a very Texas thing as you all know, that there is this sort of Ivy League sort of intellectual thing about architecture where you went to school, which is very valid in some Mm -hmm. ways. But 
here was a guy who went to the same school we did and got a five-year undergraduate degree and doing just some of the most amazing work and, and, and ran an office doing the type of work that I was very interested in, in the, in getting very hands-on and not knack and sketch kind of stuff, but actually the more you know about how things come together, even how things are sourced was the whole package, right? No compartmentalization. That was, I was really drawn to that. So, mm. um, so then picking up on what Rizzy was talking about, when he came to interview with those small firms, um, unless someone leaves, it's rarely this kind of look at 50 portfolios and then we hire someone. It was always like someone leaves and they tell you, you know, so when I, I had been there a while and I thought, before I do this going out on my own thing, I just want to see what the corporate firm is like, right? So I was going to leave and do that. And I called Rizzy up because we were buddies by then. And I said, yeah. hey, I'm about to leave. So you may want to call Gary and see. If you can take my seat. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, that, and then I lasted only four months at the corporate thing. And then I came back. So we ended up getting to work together finally. Yeah. Oh, wow. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, How so, cool. That's amazing. So I was there a total of nine and a half years and Rizzy was there a total of yeah, all, all in all, almost 12 years. So. Yeah. And then our overlap then after the band came back shortly thereafter, I think was uh, so maybe four or five years. Yeah, four, four years. Four yeah. And yeah. Years, yeah, four, four and a half years. And then separate from that, since we had, we had a great friendship that had built and then we ended up working together, even though you're in a small office, when you're working together, or at least in this kind of small office, you're never really working together, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was always, it's project-based. And even though we sat next to each other, we never actually worked on the same project. Maybe right. for a week or at a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. some overlap. Or, tiny you know, crossover, kind of yeah. Ideas little, and yeah. Sometimes little competition-based things where everybody was pouring in. But we were a little, a very tight-knit group and a small family, and everybody was in on everything. And, of course, we always used each other as resources. Yeah, but you know, parallel to that, we had all, at the time almost basically were neighbors, hang out a lot, and talk shop, and had a lot of the same and similar interests in architecture, <clears throat> and would start this thing where we push each other a little bit, and sometimes lock in and try to do the same competitions uh -huh. and force ourselves to be able to have a dialogue about it, but you yeah. know, pursue and push in separate entries. And so we had a good familiarity of working with one another, even though we, yes, we were in the same office, but we never worked together. And and from that, we could see that things worked, right? There was synergy in that. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an amazingly cool thing when you find somebody who pushes you, inspires you, and mm -hmm. also falls into line so that you can do this not just be in competition so there's mm -hmm. always the yeah. there's always the betterment there's the rigor of it that, mm -hmm. that you actually end up on the same target and mm -hmm. uh, and each one of you takes each other further like it it's like Absolutely. and i always think when you get that and i see it in so many great like partnerships um mm -hmm. 
when you get that, you get this thing where the client becomes this amazing winner out of it because you always push. There's no, yeah, there's no just handoff. There's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a, it's a baby that you deliver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then when and you, I, and I think we go, oh, go, go, no, go back. Just quickly, I, I also think the strength of this too is early on our sort of vision for the process and how to get there similar. But there were also some differences and those differences are great because we've never been ones to want a signature, yeah. like you mentioned before. Yeah. We actually relish, and sometimes that's very tough when it's very similar projects, similar location and similar program, but we always really relish that we actually don't want you to drive through town and, and say that's a foreign gang. We actually yeah. relish that everything is very much a fresh start and, and forced to be rethought. So our differences help that. So tell me because. Yeah, I, I have a question around this one because you see firms who have a really tight signature and they mm-hmm. do a certain thing. And to some degree, so we're talking business as opposed to design here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to some degree, their marketing's done for them as the, if their signature's successful. Mm-hmm. And they get locked into a position on it as That's well. Right. But then people just go, Let's, you look at cars and you go, I want the Mercedes-Benz. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I don't want the Audi. I want the Mercedes-Benz. Or I don't want this. I want this. Because it delivers on a set of principles and you fit with a tribe of people and everything seems like that you've made it because you've got this thing. And then they come to a piece, people like you and it's like, what do you want? How do we want to do this? What does the site tell us? What does this happen? And mm-hmm. it's it's so personal as opposed to so driven by the it's still driven by the architect, but driven by this by the signature. Mm-hmm. It's not driven by the signature. I'd love mm-hmm. to dig into that because, again, like I said, there's no signature, but there is amazing buildings upon amazing buildings, and each different typography still takes you somewhere new. And I think there's, for me, being slightly hyper and hard to keep focused, that to me is exciting. Um, mm-hmm. To go into work each day and draw the same house, I would be like, mm-hmm. yeah, kill me now. <laughs> it would, yeah. Yeah. Yet I know people with very successful businesses, that's what right. they do. Yeah. Right. So tell me about this thing of, go from a, maybe a client brief kind of thing and go, mm-hmm. how do clients find you? And also when they find you, are they looking for that, their own thing? They're looking for the own thing that you're going to create or how does it come about? Tell me the story of how that happens. Sure, yeah, and it seems like sometimes it's, I think as a small or relatively younger practice, it, it can be very different sometimes, which is also exciting. Um, but we're very lucky, I think, early on to just, I think as a any young practice, sometimes those initial projects and connections come to you in unexpected ways through different references, or as soon as people find out that you're out doing work on your own, they may pursue you for one reason or another. 
whether it's knowing where you had been or just trying to test a different relationship. So I think we had a number of opportunities that came out of that. And for us, it was just trying to make the most of it, most of everything and use it as this testing ground for what we still continue to do, which is designing the office in a way and designing the process. Mm-hmm. So it became this testing ground for that. And then that was able to create a, a little bit of a base of work that then some people might see and then come to us that way by having seen something. Mm-hmm. But often, especially early on, it's still, it may be just more of a almost personal referral where somebody knows that, and they then get a little familiar with our work or had seen something, but could tell that there are almost, I think, could tell there wasn't really a signature to it, that it was a little bit different in its typology, in the realm of certain typologies. You might, whether it was a house or a smaller development or things like that, it could, they could see that maybe there was a little something different and that each time something had then become a little different. And it did see, it does seem that some people maybe unintentionally latched onto that and find us that way. I think it's a really cool thing. It's, and and then also the, the fact is that when it's referral, it's because people love what you've done and how you've done it. Like the, the journey as well as it's the journey you've given the client as well as the outcome you've given the client. Mm -hmm. And so then it's, I imagine polarizing and just going from my own experience, it's polarizing. Like some people go, well, I wouldn't want that. Mm -hmm. And, and then whether the referral's got enough breadth to be able to go, you know what? You should talk to them because they wouldn't do this for you. Right. You're a unique beast and they're going to look at it mm-hmm. from a unique angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then yeah. also the range of size of work that you do. Tell me a bit about that as well. It, is it just, it, it's so interesting that you go, yeah, I've got to do that one. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that comes down to client selection as well, to some degree. It's like this person ticks enough boxes and what's that client selection process when you go, mm-hmm. yeah, we want to work with this person because what they want is going to excite us and drive us. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? So I think going back to that and some things that Rizzy mentioned too is you're right, Adrian, when we get a new typology, we are definitely super excited. And I, I think just like you mentioned how drawing the same house, even though we bored you to death, we even though we don't do that, even with housing, once you work on a few single family, you want to do something where the site's really tight and you got to fit four units, five units. But I think back to the conversation about the signature too, is it's how we navigate the conversation when we first sit down. So we navigated towards a lot about the process and the exploratory part of how they live, the spaces, the interaction between outdoors and indoors. So then it's more abstract and it's not about, because we certainly get clients that want within two weeks to see what it looks like. 
right? Or you know, <laughs> no, they, they wanted have... to see that on day one. It's well, just, yeah, they won sometimes. Weeks. Yeah, by two yeah, weeks. Exactly. Say, Come on, show me. <laughs> exactly, and we tell them that it's really that's not what's going to make the project amazing. It's that's really it. how you move around and I... how it fits your lifestyle. Yeah, this is the this is that piece that I think is wonderful to be able to unpack in people and unpack in families and right. also the sites informing you things, but this piece of going through a process with people so they because they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what you don't know. So then it's this discovery mm-hmm. of them and their culture and their vision and their dreams and then mm-hmm. how do you how does that become a, a home yeah how does exactly. that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the but in terms of the larger projects we're interested because we obviously have a sort of tentative set of principles and processes that we go through mm-hmm. our residential projects but anytime you're confronted with a larger scale project or a completely different site or a committee of clients versus <laughs> one or two, um, we're ju- we just get really excited how you transfer those principles. And, and that's a design in itself. Or do the principles change a bit based yeah. on the circumstance, right? So yeah. we're, we're just always, we're, we're also um, professors. So we part of the academic side and the practice side, the theoretical side, the technical side, uh, we're just very interested in all of it. So it applies to all these different typologies and scales. Yeah, I find that most fascinating piece of... When we look at at a building or a, a home or whatever it is and people can go, oh, I, I like maybe how it looks, but I don't like this piece or I don't like that piece. Mm-hmm. And it was never designed for them. Mm-hmm. And so for, right. them to, for them to understand it and the mm-hmm. way it was designed for the person or the people or the family, mm-hmm. like then when you look at that and you go, how did the brief respond to the everything? Mm-hmm. Like how did it all respond? And I think that the journey into the people is as exciting as the journey of creating absolutely. something yeah absolutely and it, yeah. it's yeah. I, I i find that the most incredible piece of building trust and rapport and them being vulnerable and you being vulnerable mm-hmm. as well, even though that you're mm-hmm. the leader in the journey, but being so vulnerable to learn from them and then having mm-hmm. to be in deep empathy with their emotions and their understanding of mm-hmm. and, and educating them on what the emotions of space may feel like or mm-hmm. um, how connection can change with things so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these are the pieces of the journey that most people never will understand unless they've been through it. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't get to live in an architecturally designed home for them. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's sad. I think that's mm-hmm. really sad. Mm-hmm. And most people should have that pleasure of living mm-hmm. in a home that was designed for them. Mm-hmm. So, so with that side of it, do you 
Would you design like renovations and additions for people as well? We do. We do. And yeah, if you... it's been become a little less frequent as the work changes or even though now maybe it's becoming more frequent with economic conditions, mm-hmm. but we definitely enjoy the challenge as difficult as it is. Uh, tell me about doing that side of the work as well, because yeah, you already, you, you step into <coughs> something that already has a personality. Mm-hmm. And, and my observation would be, first of all, it's, it's easier to be a hero quickly in that because you're not taking something away. Re- you're solving a problem that they are so clearly can identify with. They can identify with the problem. But when we start with a block of land, the problem is, is there isn't a house. That's the only problem. And then everything mm-hmm. has to come together. Whereas when it's a renovation, they can tell you the frustrations and the feelings right. that don't yeah. work. And it's very present in their mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah, tell me yeah. About, about that. Yeah, I think some of the challenge sometimes too is that leads people to feel almost like they know the answer already or they they know the space. They feel they know the space so well and what they don't like about it or what their yeah. pressing needs or desires might be, aspirations uh, to change the space. And, it, and they can get very fixed in thinking what that answer is. So that in some ways is... But, initially difficult but fun and challenging part of the process is to then take what we would maybe call our process and those kind of core principles and then be able to come in and open up all the open up the real options on that and almost be able to redefine that and then try to take that jointly in the right direction i love that i love that because it's so true and i love that piece when people say to you after it's all done and they're living in it for six months or a year and they just go, I can't believe it. They can't believe that mm-hmm. the space could have become what it's become. Mm-hmm. That is the right. best part. Yeah. 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 That is. It, whereas but in the, a, a new, part. oh, sorry, I was going to say in a new design, there's an expectation that it will be that already because there hasn't been the discomfort in the start. Exactly. Of it. Yeah. Mm. I think the fine line between the renovation is the most challenging part because in their head, given the resources and what is possible, and then in our head, how much do you push that before the renovation almost becomes a new build? Yes. So that's where it's very tough to find that, that fine line. And once you get there the project can really take off but at the beginning it's feeling the way that's a and real of course budget budget is obviously mm-hmm. a, a thing we think about and and it, i i don't know how it is where you're practicing but where we're practicing it seems like say when you think about a renovation where you keep the foundation and the roof intact one would think the costs would be much lower, but it never ends up that way. So then you're dealing with that factor too. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. very tough to find that fine line where this is the max sort of value yep. and yep. change before we jump over the line where you might yep. as well build something on another lot. So I was doing it with a builder yesterday. 
where yeah. mm -hmm. yeah, build construction costs so high currently and balanced yeah. to what they and balanced to mm -hmm. earnings and stuff like that. And it sure. means that I think that the market kind of splits to even being more elitist to having something built specifically or designed and built specifically for mm -hmm. you where it's a very common dream to do this it's yeah the actually getting there is becoming the gaps become much greater at this point in time it'll close mm -hmm. up again and all that sure but with it and, and you made the point before there's more renovation work talk about because of the construction costs and when you get start to get really close on the cost of knocking it over and doing it again and what are the compromises it's a i don't know i was gonna say an awkward it's a horrible conversation because the sustainability factor and all the rest and yes it's always lovely to design something new but then there's the actual there's always some additional cost usually to doing something new but yeah we find the same thing it's like getting through that process and getting some first costing so we know what can be done and getting some mm -hmm. those kind of pieces is really important. Then it's a joy to do it, but it's also you always get the figures back and you go, really? Right, <laughs> like, exactly. Really? And that just means more work to find other ways, but it's, ha ah. and being able to assess it early enough to know that, even though you think it might be this, it's more likely to be this is one of those things. I've got a question for you guys, which is if you had one last project that you were allowed to design and then you had to hang up the pencils, that was it. Can't do any more projects. Got to stop teaching too, hey? We'll make that an, an extra piece for it. What would you choose? And it's got to be one you'd choose together. So you can't go, oh, Rizzy, I'm going to do this one. <laughs> or, or Bang's going to go, yeah, I'm going to do this. And you, No, it's got to be one you've got to work on together. What would you choose to do? I have one in mind, but I, I don't know. You want yeah, to see if Rizzy's going to tell us his Probably purpose. a couple of things in mind. I think, for, I think for me it would be something public, just in terms of the sense mm. of what you touched on, I think, Adrian, earlier in terms of experiences and, and also the challenges in different types of projects, but the idea of of something lasting, right, and that has an impact on a broad range or a broad scope of people. I think in a very general sense, I think that's a, a category for me. Anything specific? Yeah, I think specifically, I think, there's infinite challenge in some of these historical typologies in terms of thinking about spaces of significance that are about gathering or, and not to say that necessarily would be like a religious function or anything of that nature, although that's kind of the common thing to go to, but I think something that's about gathering and people mm -hmm. and without getting too specific. Yeah. I think it can be broad, but. A musical. I say again? I said a musical. Oh, yeah, yeah that I don't know. Or a park. Well, I, the religious thing always intrigues me, but I've always thought a monastery would be oh, wow. amazing to do just yeah. because um, it is public to the people who live there. Yeah, but it's just a, 
like you really got a deep dive into that sort of lifestyle, which is not one that probably any three of us know very much about. And that sort of ritual and procedure, it just seems to make for wonderful sequencing of how you deal with space and light. And I, I just think that would be amazing to do. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, I get that. I get that because just as you said, like the deep dive into the understanding mm-hmm. and the the layers of what creates that mm-hmm. would would be just absolutely fascinating. You would lose yourself in there somewhere. Right. Yeah. You'd probably just, just join the... a monastery and never do it. Right. <laughs> and the dedication, right? That yeah. The the clients you're doing it for and yeah. Reflects on the dedication you're going to do for them to make a space that they're, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many layers to that. Rizzi, oh. you'd be in for that? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, that encompasses a lot of those things and more. Um, it, it, that kind of interests me and in terms of something mm-hmm. that, in a lot of ways, has almost like a generational sense of permanence to it. Oh, 100%. And legacy and in the sense of, you're creating legacy for all the people who pass through it as well. Like it, yeah. it's their emotions that they will go through in those spaces will be, I suppose, tied to their being forever and shift their being in a direction forever because they'll be on, they'll be learning so much, unpacking so much of themselves. That's really cool. Really cool. I've got another question, which is you can answer these ones separately. I want to know from your perspective, so I've got this real interest in what emotion spaces bring. And Mm. in your own homes, so you can choose who goes first, what's your favorite space and why and what emotion does it bring? We did a small renovation of a house that my wife and I bought about three years ago. And I would say the office, the The office office we have, because she works from home four days a week. And this is not anything extravagant. It's just a really nice space. We share a table where we look across from each other, but there's French doors, big window, all Half of my books that are not actually architecture related are there. The other ones are in the, the other, office. The other half so, of the books. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and the cats are around it. That's my favorite space in the house because it, and a lot of times Rizzy and I are so busy that we mostly work throughout the weekends here and there. And on Sundays, it's a really nice place in the morning to, to do some work really good deep work where you know yeah. um actually working on drawings and design not the and, not the pressure work yeah the work yeah that, or answering yeah. emails or something yeah. like yeah. the really deep work yeah it's that's probably my favorite I, i'm so tied we're both so tied to the work it's hard yeah. It, it's yeah it's hard to separate i love it's that like continuous so <laughs> that's probably my favorite space and what emotion so if you had to get, say an emotion that it gave you what is that? Oh, this might sound cheesy, but hope. Because yeah, it's, it. yeah, because it's one of the few times where we really, it's one of the few times during the week 
where I feel like I really can focus with no interruptions and really, really work at what's in front of me and give it my all. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. And with, with that, like you were saying about the books, so the books came up and the cats, but the books came up. How important is having those books around you? Super important. So those books actually in the home, and I may not have been clear, are non-architecture books. So they're all yeah, art. That's what you said. Philosophy, that, yeah. literature, because all the architecture stuff we pretty much combined in the office. Yeah. So it's really important. Actually, I, and I stopped doing this, but I, I think it was Edmund Husser who has a, a history of philosophy. And it's uh-huh. this thick. I was putting it near that table quite a bit because when I work from home on Fridays and on the weekends, if I need a little break, I flip through. Yeah. Um, wow. And it, it just calms you. Just brings um, you, grounds you. Yeah. Yeah. You back, you know, so. I love that. Wow. That's awesome. And one of my things is how the architecture is responding to an emotion or allowing you to create an emotion in that space. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're saying about the French doors and, just there's a whole lot of like little cues that ground you mm-hmm. and, and then let you go into that deep work mm-hmm. into that space. Mm-hmm. Rizzy, you're up, man. <laughs> okay, I think I have a little bit of a kind of a cop out answer, maybe, but but it's applicable for me. I also took a space and renovated it, and actually, the best thing that I did that works the best for me in some ways and creates these different emotions is open this whole space up so that it almost it is it can be divided uh, in some ways but really is opened up and feels like one space so that for me the best thing and the best sense of it is the uniformity of the space and the way that you know that the light comes through and when you're in the space you're in you're really in it. You're in the whole space. And so the way that light comes through and changes throughout the day, the way that things are set up in, let's say, just all your basic kind of programmatic aspects, but are in a collective way. So it all feeds together. And the way that the space, yes, it can be separated and broken up when it needs to be, but for the way that my lifestyle works, the uniformity of that and the openness and being just in the space in its entirety is in some ways the best part. And what and emotion? I think, you know, back to the emotion part, for me, it's really it's a sense of calm yeah. in a strange way. And I think part of it, too, is that it's also the way that maybe things are set up and kept in some ways maybe simple, but we spend a lot of time in our office and together. And when we're not in the office, we're at job sites, we're running around, we're, we're spread in this, these different levels and layers of intensity, right? And, and interactions. And in some ways, when I'm able to get into my own space, it's this just layer of calm where I can think the most clearly and work mm-hmm. the most productively. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and i like that yeah, it's a change in, in some ways yeah and but the uniformity of it gives it a rhythm and a pace and everything else that mm-hmm. works for you that means right. that the, 
the distractions fade away. Like, it's, yeah. again, it gets you to a space where you get clarity and calmness. I always find it fascinating. I do this with clients a lot. Just try and find out what makes something right and then try and work out why that's right for them. And then can we make this building do this? And can we create the magical place or places? We want the all to be magic, but for different parts of the emotions at different times. How do you make the kitchen space magical for the morning, the evening, the weekends? Yeah. Like it's got to be so like happening right down to what happens with the laundry. What <laughs> right. if, if it's not functional, how does it feel? And mm-hmm. you know how much light and the ways. Yeah, I think for us too, in all those spaces, both project based and I'm sure individually too, it's it's learning those aspects of how we all do the same things different. The nuances of it, huh? Just the yeah. nuances of our be- behavior and habits, exactly. where we do the same things but we do them differently. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous chat, guys. I really enjoyed it. Anything you want to add to tell us about with where you see the practice going and what you're doing with that? What's your vision? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because it's something we talk about multiple times a week and sometimes daily, depending on what's happening. But we talked early on that kind of for us from the beginning, it was this idea of that one of the biggest design projects for us is designing the practice. And and it's difficult in terms of, especially when you're starting out and you're very caught up in producing the work. And I think for us, we're now getting to a stage where we can really be able to revisit and refocus on that. And that's a very exciting thing in a lot of ways, not only considering what we did just, and it was a very great, it was a great exercise. I think that became greater than we expected it. We were able to, we were asked recently to do a small exhibition of our work with the university. And it really forced us to almost for the first time, take a pause and look back on our work collectively to date and take an inventory and a catalog of it and be introspective and critical of it and and maybe not to the full extent that we would have liked to but <laughs> but with that and we called it act one in terms of the sense of being the first act of something that you know hopefully continues on for a very long time and for us thinking about this act two yeah as we go into it has been very exciting and being able to look at it very differently but still consider those challenges of of what we've been able to do up to date and where we want to take it. So that's not really an answer in terms of where we're going. Oh, I think it's a great part answer. Of the process. I think you start out with a vision of what it might, might be, and then you're so damn busy working. That vision is held, but not, not worked on. It's not, it grows mm-hmm. organically from there. Right. And then to be able to look and go, you know what, we've still t- t- taken one step back. And we've had, we've presented something, but it's made it very thoughtful and deep. And then you go, so where is, where are we at now? And then regroup and go, what is it we're really going to, where are we headed to? Back to, 
and then designing it again. It's not just where are we headed and let's hope mm-hmm. we get there. Right. It's actually designing it and it's taking mm-hmm. everything you've learned so far and going, how does this funnel just keep growing and how do we keep the same level of passion and excitement that you've got for what mm-hmm. you do? Because that's what rings your bell for people who are listening you guys are happy to be doing this on the weekend as much as any other day because it's what you do. It's like right. getting up and breathing and eating and whatever else. Exactly. It's what you do. Yeah. I think right. a lot of people miss that most architects, or not most, but a lot of architects are like that. This is what they mm-hmm. do. And that brain mm-hmm. never turns off from it. It's always how can I help somebody else with a better design? And right. yeah, it's such a passionate like calling to design stuff whether it be mm-hmm. architecture or industrial or whatever, it's like your, your mind can never turn off. Never. <laughs> Guys, exactly. absolutely love this. Love this chat. And I'm looking forward to catching up with you when I get to Dallas. That would be really fun. Absolutely. Yeah, please, please do. Seriously. Yeah, without us, a doubt. Give us without a call. A we may have some gems that you haven't visited before. We can Oh, I'd love, to, I would know, love so, to do that. Yeah, not even ours, but not ours. Not ours. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, we would, so if we, like some of Gary Cunningham's later. Yeah, so that would be really fantastic. cool. That'd be really exciting to do. So we will plan that for the future and we'll be in touch. We'll post all your socials and stuff. Everybody will know how to find you from the podcast. And yeah, I'm looking forward to our next chat. Thank you, Adrian. Seriously, it's been fun. Thank you, sir. Awesome. My pleasure. Hi, guys. I'm Adrian. I'm your host of Talk Design Podcast. I started this podcast a couple of years ago, and in doing it, my aim was to talk to amazing design people, creative minds, people who I could learn from and hopefully you could learn from. This was a big part of my whole reasoning for starting the podcast. We've cracked over 80 episodes and we've done two homes tour specials for the AIA Austin in Texas, which have been really great fun, talking just specifically about houses. We've talked to HGTV stars. We've talked to building designers, interior designers, architects, business coaches, and some inspired characters along the way. People who have captured my imagination and their creative output and gone, huh, these people would bring a story to somebody else and maybe inspire them to go a little further with what they're doing as well. So I wanted to reach out and ask you all for some advice because you are the guys who tune in and listen and subscribe, and I really appreciate that. So I want some advice from you. If you guys would be happy to share with me, A, what you like best, so that I can better direct what we cover as content. And then also, if there's things you want to solve, what are the three biggest things you would like information on? What are those kind of keys so that I can look and go, okay, let's find somebody who speaks specifically on these points and get some depth of information back to you that would be really useful in your business or in your life or in your home, whichever one it would be. So if I could ask you to do that, I would be forever grateful if you would share with me just through the email based on the Talk Design website, which is www.talkdesign.show. 
if you could just reach out via that email and say to me, hey, this would be a really great subject for me, for my business or for my family or for my home or for the way I want to see life. I would love to be able to support you guys and find those people that we could talk to that would bring that to you. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen. I so appreciate the fact that you listen to the podcast. It makes it all the more fun when I get messages from you to say, hey, this inspired me. I had somebody who sent me one the other day that said, your podcast, and we were talking on a certain subject, it was a game changer for me. It was a game changer in how I viewed how I was looking at what I was doing with my design and what was going to come from that. So these things make it all the more worthwhile. So please, if you could tell me top three things that would be useful to you, I would love to support you guys in delivering that. Thank you and thank you for being a listener. Take care, have a wonderful day, evening, wherever you are, whatever it is. Cheers, Adrian, over and out.